0: Well, this first psalm serves as a gateway to the entire book of Psalms, and, and it offers in it a, a stark contrast between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Psalm one, though, is is not a psalm about how to be righteous. We know as believers that our righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. It's It comes by virtue of our relationship with Him. So what then is this psalm? Well, it is in one dimension. It's about influence. It is about what shapes us. We as men and women of God must be careful of who and what we allow to influence our lives. Are you with me? We must guard from being shaped by the wicked for they are perishing. Instead, we must be shaped by the instruction of the Lord, namely in the Word of God. But ultimately, this song is a song about the pathway to real happiness. Now, everybody is on a pathway, they're on this, what we call the pursuit of happiness. And that's what this song gives us. It is a song really about happiness. And the first word that we find in Psalm One is the word "blessed" or "blessed" if you're old school. The Hebrew word is the word "asher," and it means to be happy. And it's actually in plural form, thus it could be translated, "Oh, the blessedness is," or "Oh, the happiness is." I think I just made up a word. But this person described in the first half of the psalm meets the conditions. Of blessedness. And therefore this individual is truly happy. So if we have some folks that could use a little happiness in their life. I would suggest that you listen up today. But happiness is something that I believe every sane person desires. Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus. I believe this. We ought to be the happiest people on the planet. But that comes only as we are shaped by what we find in Psalm chapter 1, namely by the Word of God. So to be sure, the psalmist assumes a relationship with God. He's writing from his position with God, his relationship with God. And we as Christians understand that to know Jesus is the only way to true blessedness. It's the only hope that you have of being happy in this life and the life to come. But it's interesting that even when we know Christ, that there are times when we as Christians don't experience true happiness. Because we aren't walking in the conditions that are laid out here in Psalm. Now understand that just because you're a Christian, and even when you do everything that we're going to find in Psalm 1, it doesn't mean that you'll never be grieved. It doesn't mean that you'll never experience heartache. The psalmist experienced heartache frequently, but even in those times of heartache and grief and even what seemed like despair, there is a deep-seated contentment and joy that is in the soul, the heart of every Christian, because of Jesus Christ in our relationship with Him. So let's look at the description of happy men and women of God found here in Psalm 1. To begin with, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at their refrain. Their refrain. Verse 1 said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So the psalmist begins with three negatives. Alright, the first negative has to do with belief. The second with behavior. And the third with belonging. Belonging. And this is kind of a progression of sort. A person begins by listening to the wicked. Listening, getting bad counsel. And if you listen long enough, you'll start standing with them. And if you stand with them long enough, you'll sit down. That's more decisive. They'll become your people. And so let's walk through this progression. We'll begin here with belief. Truly happy people aren't polluted by worldly thinking. You could call it stinking thinking. Have you ever heard that? See, happy people don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. And you may say, well, pastor, I would never go to the world for counsel. Yet I think that we all do it sometimes unknowingly. Are you all right if we have a little bit of fun this morning? I need some audience participation. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a few words of a phrase, each of these comes from either a popular movie or commercial, a song or a book, and I want you, if you know it, out loud to complete the phrase, alright, now you gotta do this louder, it's not gonna work, alright, don't don't make me preach all by myself today, so I'm gonna say the first part, and you're gonna say the the last part, amen, so here it is, life is like a box of chocolates, y'all did so good, Another movie line. Go ahead. Make. There's no place. Let's see if you know your cereal. I'm cuckoo for. Silly rabbit. Melts in your mouth. There are some things that money can't buy. MasterCard. Oh, okay. Where's Bob at? Is Bob at? His class is working. Y'all don't pay any attention to credit cards anymore. Hallelujah. If Bob was in there, he would have done laps around the sanctuary right then. Let's talk about some songs here. You ain't nothing. Tell me what you want. Come on, let's do that one again. You do that better. Tell me what you want. Okay. Lord, forgive me. Knock, knock, knocking. Hey, Mickey, you're so fine. Hey, Mickey. Yeah, I didn't do that. Help, I've fallen. How many of y'all wearing that little lifeline this morning? Your word, I've hidden in my heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. not as confident with those things hard. Y'all did pretty good actually. Sanctify them in truth. You see, every one of us can be influenced in some way by the counsel of the wicked. I'm not suggesting, I'm not legalistic, I'm not telling you, you sinners, you can't turn on the television tube. But I think we better watch how much we're being influenced by the world. We've allowed the media and Hollywood, rather than the Word of God, to shape our thinking on politics, on culture, on morality. This might blow your mind. Based on a study done by Nielsen, the New York Times reported in 2016 that on average, American adults were watching five hours and four minutes of television per day. Five hours. In four minutes of television per day. Then, total media consumption. This would be watching TV, surfing the web, on the computer, using an app on your phone. This is not work. This is media consumption. Listening to the radio, using your tablet, and so on. The average for 2016 was 10 hours, 39 minutes. And this is what Americans and even multitudes of American Christians are filling their minds with every day. And, folks, you put garbage in, garbage is coming out. Which leads to the second negative. The happy person doesn't behave like sinners behave, they don't stand in the way of sinners dealing with behavior. See, to stand in the way of sinners is to essentially do what they are doing. If, if you begin to think like the world, you will eventually begin to act like the world. Happy people do not behave like the world behaves. You'll be miserable. Amen. Now, there's pleasure in sin, to be sure, for a season. But I promise you, in the time to come, you won't be happy. Now, to, to be sure, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. Okay? We are not called to be hermits. We're not supposed to, when we leave here, go in a little group and hide in the cave somewhere until Wednesday night. No, we're supposed to rub shoulders with the ungodly. We're supposed to be a light to a lost and dying world. Jesus prays this in His priestly prayer found in John chapter 17 and verse 15. He's praying for His disciples and He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now watch what He says. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And here's the verse that that Ben been quoted just a second ago. Sanctify them in truth. Let's say it together now. Your word is truth. Let's do a little better than that. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is saying this. Father, this is before His his betrayal and His arrest and His death on, uh, on the cross. He's not saying, Father... Protect these disciples and just take them out of the world right now. He says, no, I want them to be right here. But I pray, and He uses the word, sanctify them, which means to separate them, set them apart. And He says, do it by the truth. Your word is truth. You and I are in the world, but we are to be sanctified. We are to be set apart. So we're to rub shoulders with unbelievers, but we must be saturated with the Word of God. We must be saturated with the Holy Spirit. So that we're not living like them, but we are a light and an example to them. Amen? Yeah. This is one of the many reasons why regular church attendance is so important. First of all, the, the New Testament, just and, and I'm preaching to the choir because you're in church this morning. But it drives me crazy when people tell me, well, I believe in God, but I just don't go to church. It doesn't make sense. When you're saved, you become part of the capital C church. And the New Testament knows nothing of a believer that isn't part of a local church. No church doesn't save you, but save people don't want to be in the house of God. But one of the reasons that we need this is that when you've been around some worldly folks, how many of y'all just been around some evil people this week? I mean, you've been on, you, You've heard some things that you wish you wouldn't have heard, seen some things you wish you would not have seen. Isn't it great to come to the house of God and to be around godly people and be encouraged and then be held accountable? Because if we start to act like the world, we need a brother or sister who loves us enough to tell us the truth. And say, so you're supposed to be in the world, but you're not supposed to be of it. And you're acting like you are of it. So we've got to be careful. And, and, but, but we are, to be sure, we are to be in the world rubbing shoulders with lost people. I've got friends who are lost. I don't always go the same places they go. But I'm telling you, I love lost people. And I want to be a light to them. And I can't be a light if I'm not around them ever. But the happy person doesn't do what the world does. And then he gives us a third negative here. Here's the third refrain of the happy person. And it has to do with belonging. So you move from belief to behavior and then to belonging. Those who walk in the council of sinners and they eventually stand in the path of sinners will, if they fail to repent, they will sit in the seat of a scoffer. Now a scoffer is one who's not just walking in wickedness. But they're mocking the people who walk according to the Word of God. And so a happy person doesn't stand with those people and they don't sit down in the company of those people. When it becomes your seat, when you sit down with them, you are part of who they are. And we see this happening. There has been a great immorality that has been embraced by multitudes of people in our country. And Christians, get this have listened to the council for too long of the world. They started walking in some of the same immorality as uh, as the world. And then they totally changed their positions on what's right and wrong. And now, here's what they're doing. This is the left-wing church. Here's what they're saying. They, they, they call themselves Christians. And I would use that term very loosely for these people. But they're mocking and they're scolding conservative Christians for being quote-unquote close minded. Baby, it's not closed-mindedness. It's biblical-mindedness. Okay, And I will stand on that as long as I have breath. I don't care if every other preacher... I don't think that's going to happen. But if every other preacher preaches another gospel, another form of morality, I'm telling you that we're sticking with the Bible. Amen? So you can see this, but so many Christians, quote-unquote, have taken to... That where they're mocking now conservative believers. And you can see examples of this in cohabitation and sex outside of marriage and homosexual marriage and abortion. And the list could go on and on and on. And if a person gets to this point, even if they self-identify as a Christian, I would say this, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, right? So if you're if you live a life that is similar to the wicked, Perhaps you're part of the wicked. Just saying. So the happy person refrains from thinking and behaving like and ultimately belonging to the world. That's a miserable place to be. So we've looked at their refrain. Secondly, let's look at their relish. And what I mean, what they relish in. In other words, what do they delight in? So many people... That are saved, they they stop doing a lot of things, and that's great. And they brag about it. That's not that's not good. Oh, pastor, I don't do this anymore, and I don't do this anymore, and I don't do this anymore. And my question is, what do you do? What do you do? It's not enough just to stop doing things. We've got to fill our lives with good things. Amen. So so if you've stopped doing some things, that's great, but you're halfway there. If you want to be happy, you're going to need to get busy. Amen. In kingdom work. Amen. (laughs) Verse 2 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law He meditates day and night. Listen to this. Whatever we enjoy the most is what we will pursue. If it's money, you will pursue riches. That's what will consume your thinking and your time. If it's relationships, you'll pursue relationships. If it's sin, you will pursue sin. And multitudes of people are on this American dream. And and they're out for the what? Pursuit of happiness. They're pursuing happiness itself. But this is so interesting. If you pursue happiness, you will never ever find it. Because happiness can never be found in and of itself. It is always a byproduct of something else. And the only true way to real, lasting, sustaining happiness is to love God and to pursue His Word with all of our hearts. The happy delight in the Word of God, that's what the psalm is teaching. And I fear that we don't delight enough, friends, as American Christians in the Word of God. I mean, I just, just seeing one of y'all carry your Bible just makes me smile. We have a, a a discipleship class that we're starting on, at, on Wednesday nights. And I'm telling you, I was giddy on Wednesday to see how many people came out to, to sit around and just dig deep into the Bible and then stay for service where we get to, to go even deeper. I mean, it's, it's incredible. But I love your heart for the Word and I hope that only develops more and more as time goes on. In 2016... Varna reported that about one-third of all American adults report reading the Bible once a week or more. Only the percentage is highest among elders, which is 49%, and the lowest among millennials, 24%. It's it any wonder why we have a miserable generation coming up, because they know about more about SpongeBob SquarePants than they know about Daniel in the lion's den and Noah in the ark. They're miserable. 24% of the millennials only read it once a week or more. But let's go back to the other statistics. We're reading or consuming 10 hours and 39 minutes. Is that what I said? Of media a day on average? What's shape, what's where's our delight? What's shaping our thinking? See, the psalmist doesn't just call us to read the word, he calls us to delight. In the law of the Lord, in the word of God. Now it's likely here that the psalmist is referring to the Torah, namely the the, the five books, first books of the Old Testament. Alright, now think about this. So the psalmist is telling Israel, listen, meditate and enjoy the light in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I don't know how much you've read those books. How many just delight in Leviticus? Let's be honest. We, you know, when you, if you do the one-year Bible plan, I'll be honest with you. If I eat my cereal in the morning or whatever, and I come to Leviticus. I, I just, I mean, it's it's helpful and it's good, and you ought to read it. But I don't, I don't do somersaults. I, I pray, Lord, you're going to have to help me enjoy Leviticus. But that's what they had, and they're to delight in those books, friends. We're on the other side of the cross, and we have the entirety of Scripture. We have the whole living Word of God. But we're not delighting in it. Thus, we're a miserable people. We're finding our delight in other things. We're trying to delight in other things. And those things are not sure foundations. They will never bring lasting and sustaining happiness. We need to delight in the Word. See, my goal is as your pastor... I talk a lot about Bible study and and, and spending time with the Lord. My goal is not for you just to give in and go, you know, tomorrow morning get up. All right, kids, Pastor Chris just wants us to get your Bibles out. And then you text me and you're like, hey, I did what you wanted us to do. Yay. That's not my heart. But listen. I want you to get up in the morning and I want you to delight in the Word of God. I want you to delight in the Word of God. I I I want your kids, I want my children to be so much happier about opening the Word of God or family devotions at night than they would be if I were to say, hey, let's go see a movie. And you say, well, Pastor, you're expecting a lot out of my kids. Absolutely. You know why I want this? It's not so I can high five somebody and say, Oh, what a great parent I am. Because I didn't grow up delighting in the Word. I want them to be happy. I don't want them to be depressed like I was depressed. I want them to have joy. I want them to love God. And I want them to be kingdom minded young men. And so I want each of you, when you get up in the morning, and before you lay your head down on the pillow at night, and all day and every day, doesn't mean that you don't work, that you don't, you, you know, that you that you don't do anything else. Uh, again, you don't just hide in a prayer closet twenty four seven. But I hope that you begin to look forward to your times in the Word, because see, people tell me all the time, Pastor, I, I say, "How's your devotions?" Well, they're just not really that good. I, I just don't have time. You have 168 hours in the week, and here's what I found in my own life. When I say I don't have time to do something, it's not that I don't have time, it's just not up enough on my priority list. Because I bet I look at my smartphone how how many times you know a day. How many are close to that ten hour mark? Come on, somebody. Let's confess up in here today. So so I just know for myself that I want to do better. I want to delight in His Word, and when I find that I'm not spending enough time with God, I want to get on my face before God and say, "Oh Lord, set my heart on fire again, set it ablaze again." I went through a really dry season in January of this year, and I started out had the one of the sicknesses that was going around, and was in bed for a couple of weeks, didn't feel like doing anything, and got out of the habit of reading my Bible. And even as a pastor, I want you to know this isn't just a natural thing where every day you wake up and you delight in the the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. But I do want to suggest to you that it's worth fighting for. At the end of that two weeks, I talked to people that, that, that were in the Word. And, and I started listening to podcasts of people that were excited about the Word. And I tried to remember what God's done through the Word of my life before. And I started celebrating that. And I would pray a heartfelt prayer. God, do it again in me. Do it again in me. So we need to pray that the Lord would cultivate hearts that delight in His Word. And so I hope that your attitude changes in this and that you say, well, I just didn't have time to to go to Walmart this week. Or I didn't have time to, you know, to, to go to the lake this week. Because I've been reading the Bible. I've been reading the Bible. I want us to delight in the Word. See, the only way to really conquer, I know that sin, that the bondage of sin has been conquered at the cross. But I feel like Paul sometimes, don't you, where you say, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. We still struggle. And Paul says, we have this battle of the flesh and the spirit going on all the time. But you know that the only way to conquer some of those sins in your life that you really struggle with is through the Word of God. You've got to see the Word as preferable, for instance, to sexual sin. If you just try to stop something, going back to this, without filling it with something else, you're going to keep doing it. If you struggle with pornography, you've got to to see Jesus and the Word of God preferable to the satisfaction that pornography by you. If you struggle with greed, and, and, and that's your heart, man, I just want, 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 want. You've got to see Jesus, the Word of God, preferable to money, possessions. If you've made an idol out of your job or anything else... You've got to see Jesus as preferable. You don't just try to quit doing those things. Do that. But then, fill that void in your heart with something else. And I'll tell you this. The Lord is better than any of those things that you think bring you pleasure. See, sin blesses for a minute. It's, a, it's not a real blessing. It's, it brings you a little bit of happiness or, or gratification for a moment. But it's fleeting. You know, I, I deal with people all the time who, who, who they, they talk to me about, you know, let's, let's take drugs for instance. I, I, I deal with a lot of drug addicts. And they go back to the time and re, reminisce about the, the short moment that drugs seemed really good in their life. It was a good high and it felt good. But what the devil doesn't tell you is it will cost you more than what you signed up for. And they said it started. I started spending all my money on drugs and then I had to sell to to, to take care of my habit. And I lost my business and I lost my family and my children don't want anything to do with me. And now I'm locked up and and I don't know how this happened. It's because you're looking for joy and happiness somewhere where it can never be found. And so you don't just try to stop doing those things. Stop it. Try to stop it, but you don't stop there. Does that make sense? You've got to fill it with something else. Learn to delight in the Lord. This, has been, this is the essence of what our, our theme is. Treasuring Christ together. It means that we see and we savor Jesus Christ. is supremely valuable compared to anything else that we have in this life. We're like Paul who said, I counted all but loss according to what I've gained in Christ Jesus. We need Him. We need to delight Him. In Him, church, we need to do better in this. I need to do better in this. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Do you hear that? This isn't just a of a book that we're reading. This is the inspired Word of the Lord. This is the Creator of the universe. The One who rules heaven and earth. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, I love to read. I I love to read. But I don't care if you read another book in your life. I, I hope you do. There's some great books to read. But if you never read another book in your life, please be a student of the Word of God like to read or not, it'll change your life, delight in it. So happiness has to do with, uh, number one, the refrain of the righteous. They, they don't stand with the world. Number two, the, the, the relish of the righteous, their delight is in the Word of God. And thirdly, the representation of the righteous. The psalmist gives a beautiful depiction of the life of the godly. He He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers now how many want to prosper the blessed man or woman is like a tree planted by the streams of water see trees don't plant themselves by god's grace he plants us matthew 15:13 says that every plant that my heavenly father has not planted in the end it'll be rooted up So you can't earn your righteousness. You can't earn your position. We're given that by the Lord. Every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Now because we have been planted by the Father, we are rooted in Christ through being born again, through the new birth. Colossians 2 verse 6. Therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him, And established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we have this continual source of water, even in the driest of seasons and in the driest of situations. Being amongst the righteous, listen to me, it doesn't mean that you and I will not go through rough seasons in life. This tree that's planted goes through rough seasons. But even in the worst of seasons, the true Christians' leaves don't wither. We're like an evergreen. We don't die. We don't fade away because we're rooted in Jesus Christ. We bear fruit only because we're connected to Jesus. So even in the desert, even in the driest of land, we can bear fruit because of Jesus. John 15, verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. See, we bear fruit because we are continually nourished by the streams of the Word, the Word incarnate, Jesus Christ, and the written Word. That's what Psalms is talking about. Those streams come as as we deliberately delight in the Word of God. We love the instruction of the Lord. Those roots go down deeper and deeper. And it's interesting that a a tree bears fruit for other people, not for itself. I've never seen a a tree eating its own fruit. And when the righteous prosper, I want you to understand, it's not just for our benefit, but it's for the benefit of other people. So you see that it's vital that we are healthy spiritually. Not just for ourselves, but for all those who would be around us. And then the psalmist says, After describing the righteous and the happy, the blessed, he moves on to talking about the wicked and doesn't have much to say. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Listen to me. The wicked are like chaff. Chaff is the husks that are separated by the winnowing or threshing. It's lighter than the edible kernels. So when a farmer tosses the fresh weed into the air, the wind blows away the chaff. It's separated. A, a separation process takes place. And so it is with the wicked, those who have no relationship with God. Their time will come to an end. Listen, this doesn't mean that the wicked won't prosper on this earth. That it, they won't look prosperous. And I, I know that because Psalm 37 says, Never envy the wicked. Soon they will fade away like grass and disappear." The Bible says He makes it rain on the just and the unjust. Think about that. Why would we envy the wicked if they don't seem prosperous? How many of you have seen somebody that is not living for the Lord and it seems to all be going well for them and you think, man, I'm trying to do everything right right," and it seems like the Lord is blessing them more than me. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. And the wicked, they think, well, I'm doing okay without the Lord. But with the wicked, it will not be so in the end. So don't ever look at them and and envy them. It's interesting that the weed and the chaff, they grow together. The righteous and the wicked, we inhabit the same world. And, And listen, even in churches, as much as I hate to say it, there's weed and there's chaff. But in the end, at the judgment... Only the righteous will stand. Look at verses 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. I hope that breaks your heart. Because I, I know some people who are on the path of the wicked. And that's heartbreaking. See the first word of the psalm is the word blessed. The last word. Word is on the screen. What is it? Perish. Blessed. Happy. Perish. As far as the psalmist is concerned, there's only two types of people. The righteous and the wicked. And you can say the saved and the unsaved. Because we're not righteous by our own merit. Can't make that... I can't say that enough. We're righteous because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But the evidence of that righteousness, we've been, righteousness is what? It's in good works. It's in the fruit that we bear. Again, if you're not bearing fruit, you might take a hard look at your life. We desperately need to preach the gospel to those on the path of wickedness because they're perishing. And we go about our, our Christian days with our cute little houses and our nice little cars. Not giving an ounce of thought sometimes about the wicked, those who love the things of this world and not God. And in the end, I, if they could say anything to you, I believe they would say, "Why didn't you tell me?" If you're in here and you're on the path of the wicked, you're in the right place this morning because there's grace here for you. We're not here to condemn you or to or to say to you, you know. We're better than you. No, instead, we're here to plead with you and say, oh, we have something so much better for you. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Don't believe the lies uh, of the media. Don't believe the lies of your friends, worldly friends, to say that you've got what life is about because you know in your heart you're not happy, you're not content, you're not satisfied, you're miserable. Today... Why not change paths? Why not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ? To believe, you know, the Bible says to confess Him as Lord. That means you're not just Savior of my life, but you are Lord of my life. That means I delight in the instruction of the Lord, the law of the Lord. I want to follow you. Everybody wants Him to be Savior. But but He can't be Savior if He's not Lord. It doesn't work like that. He's everything or He's nothing to you. Where you at you don't know Christ you're even if you think you're a decent human being you are on the wrong path the path that leads to perishing and you may have some happy times but this is emphatically not the road to true and lasting happiness it is the road that leads to suffering Ephesians 2 1 you were dead in the trespasses and sin does that sound like a happy person to you? dead in trespasses and sin that's somebody before they know Christ and then Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which He has loved us even when we were dead in trespasses He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ and your Lord is, is your Lord and Savior. And I'd love to pray. I'd be so honored to pray with you today and tell you how you can turn from your path of wickedness and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even, even you say, well pastor, I'm in church. That's not going to gain you any merit. That's, that's not going to save you. So don't let the devil believe just because you, you, know, you live like you want through the week and you show up on Sunday morning that you're alright. You're not. I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher, but I do believe there's a literal hell. But I'm thankful that there's, even though the Wages of sin is death. I'm thankful by grace that the gift of God is eternal life. It comes through Jesus Christ and Him alone. So, if that's you today, man, don't leave that place. Maybe your first time here. Don't, don't leave this place today without making sure you're on the right path. I'd love to love to pray with you. You can call upon the Lord from your seat, but I, I'd love to, to have the opportunity to pray with you and help you in this process.